أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين بارئ الخلائق أجمعين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين المبعوث رحمة للعالمين سيدنا ومولانا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى أهل بيته الأطيبين الأطهرين الهداة المهديين ولعنة الله على أعدائهم إلى قيام يوم الدين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأهل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي أما بعد Dear brothers and sisters, السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته in our previous khutbah, we spoke a little bit about the relationship of khawf and raja, of fear and hope, in creating a comprehensive and a balanced understanding of our spiritual reality and how it's possible for us to move closer to Allah and become better people. We have to recognize that there is the infinite potential for advancement, for progression, for development, and Allah has not limited our opportunities to become better people, to have our sins forgiven, our shortcomings compensated for, and to move forward. But at the same time, it's not that the other end of the spectrum is just a baseline where we don't improve. We also have the potential to jeopardize our very humanity and to move in a negative direction. And that is the balance that Islam wants us to appreciate. Not to be governed by fear and not to give ourselves away to hope. To remain in that balance. Today I would like to add one other dimension to that discussion. The balance of fear and hope is related to our spiritual progress. It's related to our understanding of our relationship to Allah, our relationship to our own selves, and the talents and the shortcomings and all of the attributes that we have and the qualities that we have. But it is also related to the concept of du'a. And in the case of du'a, raja has a particular importance. Hope has a particular importance. There is a hadith of our ninth Imam, Imam Muhammad al-Taqi al-Jawad alayhi salatu wassalam, in which he explains specifically those du'as that are asking Allah for something. So du'as have different types. Some du'as are for forgiveness. Some du'as are for spiritual progress and development. Some du'as are for material and some du'as are for non-material things. Every du'a has a need that is at its root. 
And sometimes we find in a hadith that the relationship between a servant, a human being, and Allah, it is called that relationship of faqr and that relationship of haja, poverty and need. A haja is not limited to a material haja, but in the case of many of our own du'as, it is the material hajat that we often ask for more frequently and that we are more concerned about. Our ninth Imam, he says that Al-Hawa'iju tutlabu raja When you have a haja, material, but even if it is a non-material haja that you are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, a dua that you are taking to your Creator. The way that you make that dua is through raja. Al-hawa'iju tutlabu raja A dua is made, a haja is sought through hope. A dua is not a formality. It is not just to prove a point to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's not about a psychological change that it brings about in our own soul or our own emotions. The proper way to ask Allah for anything is through that attribute of hope. That is why we have a certain symbolism that we are to maintain. And the putting out of our hands during dua, it also is derived from a beggar who is asking, petitioning somebody for charity, they put out their hand because they want you to put something in their hand. It is a much more desperate and a much more immediate way of asking. If I say, can you loan me some money versus can you give me some money? There is a difference in the desperation and in the expectation that exists between those two different forms, whether we have our hands out or we don't have our hands out. So even the external aspect of dua is influenced by the reality of what we are making that dua or asking that haja for. The Imam says that the proper frame of mind to be in and the proper goal to have when you ask Allah for something is defined by raja, hope and have confidence that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will grant it. Not that it's going to happen at some time in the future, or it might happen or it might not happen, but that it is going to actually change your life, that this is something which is going to be effective. And this is why it is so highly recommended in Islam to ask Allah for specific things. When we ask Allah for specific things, it's not because we're making a claim that we know what's best for us. If we knew what was best for us, then we wouldn't need to turn to Allah for guidance. We wouldn't need to always be seeking out new forms of wisdom and new forms of guidance and to renew our connection to the spiritual path. And slowly we might not even find a need for dua at all. The reason why we ask Allah for specific things 
is because we are hoping that there will be a change and that needs to be defined. It needs to have momentum. It needs to have a certain definition within our mind so that we can hope for something. It's very difficult to become excited or to become motivated about something that is not clearly defined. Politically speaking, that is often why you find extremists are far more excitable and able to be motivated than moderates. Because their ideology, their objection to society, the change they want to bring is much more clearly defined. It's not because they necessarily believe in things that are better to believe in, and maybe their beliefs are not even stronger. But because that definition is clear, the change they want, the difference they want from their current state is clear, they find it easier to develop motivation and coherence in their actions. Allah wants us in our du'as to have momentum. And so, الْحَوَائِجُ تُطْلَبُ بِالْرَجَاءِ Have a hope and a confidence that what you are asking for that is going to be given and is going to be granted. And Allah will give it. In one hadith we are told that when you ask Allah for something, then be ready to listen to the doorbell. Because ظُنَّ حَاجَتَكَ بِالْبَابِ Imagine that it's right at the door. Amazon has now same-day delivery, I think, in some cities. So imagine that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not just same-day delivery, but instant delivery. Imagine that. Now there is a danger though. That when you have al-hawa'ijo tutlabu bil-raja, if you get your expectations too high, and then what percentage of our du'as actually get answered? Regardless of whether we are fulfilling the conditions and we are making the du'a properly, assuming that we are doing everything right. Are we always going to get the money that we are asking Allah for, the promotion that we are asking Allah for, the marriage proposal that we are asking Allah for, the material or the non-material result that we are seeking? Are we setting ourselves up for an eventual disappointment because of that hajjah. Again, the political example I gave, although it's not comparable in every direction, it often can be illustrative. Yes, extremism is something that motivates people. But at some point, it often results in a breakage. It often results in an opposite reaction. There's many families, you probably have seen them, I have seen them, where they raise their children very strictly. And people admire how much the children know and how much they practice. And then it comes to a certain point and sometimes there is a 180 degree flip. And that practice, that sense of commitment, it turns into disillusionment. And depending on what other environment that family may have and those parents have prepared, that disillusionment, it might stay for a long time or inshallah, with the grace of Allah, it might be cured and it might be rectified, but it does come about. So if we say that you're going to ask Allah and you're going to hope, are you setting yourself up for that breaking point and that disillusionment? That I asked Allah to cure the sickness, 
And I said that it's going to happen now or tomorrow, and here I am months later, and I'm still in pain or I'm still suffering. I asked Allah to help me pay off my loans, and I was confident that Allah would do it. I even paid my khums that year thinking that Allah was going to help me, and it turned out that several years later I'm still in economic difficulty. I still have not solved that problem. So the second part of the Imam's statement is to address this. Sometimes we lower our expectations because we don't want to be hurt later. That is one solution, but it's not the Islamic solution. Keep your expectations. Keep your sense of immediacy and hope. If you lose that sense of hope and motivation and connection, then there's no point in really making that dua and asking Allah for that haja. It loses its value. But the solution is to recognize the way that that dua is raised to Allah and that it is brought back. So when we do talab or seek from Allah, then something is going up to the heavens. It is our call or our voice. And it is going up with confidence and with hope that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will respond. Imam al-Jawad says that the hajat, they are revealed or they descend from Allah back to the human level, to the material level, to the world, through a decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's not a one-to-one process that we ask Allah for something and we get it. We hope because we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has power over all things and that He is infinitely merciful. But part of what allows us to have that hope and keep coming back, even when the dua may not be answered in the way that we were hoping or in the time frame that we were hoping for, is to begin to appreciate the role of divine decrees within our life. We need to use dua in order to appreciate that Allah is not just answering my prayers and He's not just looking out for me. He is looking out for the affairs of each and every one of His creations, human beings and even non-human beings. He has a wisdom in all that He does. That doesn't mean that I should lose my immediacy of connection to Allah. That is what raja is for. And the haja, it goes up to Allah, it ascends. But then when it comes down, it comes down according to the qaba of Allah. And we need to recognize that the granting of hajat is not just a factor of our state. Sometimes people say that, well, this dua was not answered, so maybe I need to, to make that dua on Thursday evening. Maybe I needed to first give sadaqah. Maybe I needed to be more sincere or more pure. Maybe I needed to make a nadr, a vow to Allah, and then the dua would be answered. All of those are factors. The time, the manner, the person, the sincerity, the piety. All of those are factors into whether a prayer is taken seriously by Allah or it is not taken seriously by Allah. But there are many factors that are beyond the individual. And so even if we have all of the individual factors, we will not appreciate the significance and the beauty of dua 
unless we recognize that there are factors that are related to Allah in His management of all of the other parts of His creation. That qada is something that is revealed by Allah to us. And there can be no more intimate revelation than when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala changes the affairs of our life from what we had hoped to something else. If we appreciate that the granting of a prayer in whatever way it is granted and whatever form it is granted that is a revelation from Allah then even when we get something other than what we wanted we won't be disappointed but it will increase our pleasure that perspective change is something that is often very difficult for us to do in one example a person came to our sixth Imam, Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq alayhi salatu Disappointed that a child was born and it was a daughter and the person wanted a son. And the Imam asked one question just to remind the person that it is entirely a matter of perspective. He says that before this child was born, the eve of the birth, if Allah had asked you, should I choose or should you choose? Would you say, Allah, do it my way, or would you say, Allah, do give me whatever is best for me? The person said, I would say, Allah, choose. He says, well, Allah has chosen. He has given you what He has chosen for you. That doesn't mean you don't make the dua. If you have a son and he's already destroyed all of your furniture and now you want a daughter because you think that she won't do so, then by all means pray to Allah for a daughter. And if you have daughters and you would like to balance out the family and have a son, then by all means pray for a son and hope that Allah will give it to you. But then when Allah gives you whatever He gives you, however He answers the haja, whether it be with a different child than what you had expected, or with any special needs, or by withholding that child, then recognize that that is the qaba of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when Allah reveals His qaba to you, then that is a very profound and a very spiritual reality. And then the Imam says that there are certain hajat that are worth seeking. The reality of a haja is that it is rooted in hope. And when it comes, it is a revelation of God's decree. It's not a coincidence. It's not a disappointment. But it is a revelation and an unveiling of the beauty and the wisdom and the perfection of God's creation. So if you are confused about what to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, if you are asking Allah and you don't know what is the best haja to ask for, then the Imam says that وَالْعَافِيَةُ the best gift that Allah can give you is going to be afiyah. Because in the end, when we ask Allah for something and when He grants it, the granting of that haja, the fulfillment of that prayer, it is an ata, it is a gift, it is something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon us. 
Allah is not repaying us. He's not settling an account. There is nothing that He owes us. It is a gift. And if we want to know what gift is best to ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, then it is the dua and the haja that was asked by the Prophet and by the Imams. And the best thing that we can ask for from Allah is afiyah. And as we ask in du'as, afiyah to deen and afiyah to dunya. It has different components. Afiyah means wellness. It means not being in a state of worry and concern, but being in a state where we are well, and we are sound, and we are safe. That is the very best thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can give you. That is the best gift. And by extension, the Imam is saying that that is the best thing that you can ask for. Don't ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give you something that you're not sure will actually be good for you. Don't ask Allah to give you something that you are not sure you will be able to handle. There are many things that we would like. We would like to have more authority. We would like to have more material resources. We would like a lot of things. But those material things don't always bring afiyah. Sometimes they can give you afiyah, and sometimes they can take it away. Ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that which is the goal and which is the source of peace and tranquility and blessings. Not that which can be a means, but many other factors will determine whether it is actually able to accomplish its goal or not. So praying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for afiyah, it cuts out the middleman of many of those things that we think are important to us, but in the end, are not important to us. Sometimes the pe people go through tragedies. They go through very profound changes in their life before they realize that all of the distractions which they thought were so important are not a source of peace and are not a source of happiness or blessings within life. A believer might go through those ups or those downs but he or she should not need those ups or downs in order to appreciate what is important and what is valuable. So the best thing that we can ask Allah for is that wellness and that soundness. That does two things for us. It tells us the priority that we should give to different types of dua. It also tells us what dua we should be asking for. To ask Allah to have plenty and not to be unable to meet our expenses. To ask Allah for health. To ask Allah for peace in our family relations. To ask Allah for all of these things, they are components of afiyah, and so they are good for us to ask for. But then within each of these areas, it is that soundness and that wellness that we are asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for, and that might come in different ways. So we will be open for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to show us how I can have a good life and a sound life in circumstances that may be different from what I am used to or what I would have wanted or what I would have expected. 
So pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for those things that were the dua and the prayer of the Prophet and Ahlul Bayt alayhim salatu wassalam. And that will be a means by which we will be able to see the value and the barakah and the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has kept in store for the believers. Once again, the hadith of Imam Muhammad At-Taqi Al-Jawad alayhi salatu wassalam is that your needs from Allah are sought through hope. They are granted or they descend from the heavens through divine decree. And it is afiyah that is the very best gift that Allah can give you and that is what we should prioritize. And those factors that can lead to afiyah are what we should ask for. Al-hawa'iju tutlabu أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين بارئ الخلائق أجمعين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا ونبينا أبي القاسم محمد وعلى فاطمة الزهراء وعلى علي أمير المؤمنين وعلى الحسن والحسين وعلى علي بن الحسين ومحمد بن علي وجعفر بن محمد وموسى بن جعفر وعلي بن موسى ومحمد بن علي وعلي بن محمد والحسن بن علي والحجة بن الحسن القائم المهدي صلوات الله عليه مجمعين I begin by seeking forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for my own sins and shortcomings and also for the shortcomings of all of those present and on behalf of all believers, men and women throughout the world, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala forgive our sins and guide our steps in the remainder of our lives. Ameen. In the second khutbah, I want to just quote and translate one hadith of our sixth Imam, Imam Ja'far al-Sadiq alayhi salatu in which he talks about things that can cure death. Now there is a reality that will touch every living thing, human or non-human. Death is something that will always come to us. But there are certain factors that have been mentioned in our religious teachings that can push away that death. And we have been told that they are effective, that they have a 
very immediate and a very real and a far-reaching effect on a person's life. Think of them as the only thing that you can think of as a cure to death. Although eventually there is a divine decree that death will come to everything that lives. And as our Ma'asumin would say whenever there was a tragedy in their families that if Allah did not decree immortality for his prophet then immortality would not be decreed for anyone else. But there are factors that can change that. There are factors that are influential. And that's something that's very popular within our own society as well. Every so often there is a study that is trumpeted by the media that there is some tree root that was discovered in Indonesia, there was some berry that was discovered in the Amazon jungle, there is some uh, supplement or some food that is a miracle food and it will help you lose weight and it will help you live longer and if you adopt this diet or if you adopt this lifestyle or if you become a vegetarian or if you do this or if you do that or if you meditate or if you uh, change how you live your life then you will extend your life. And generally speaking those are exaggerations. Sometimes the studies themselves are commissioned by questionable sources. Sometimes they are well done studies but then when you give it to the hands of somebody who was looking for readership or for clicks or for uh, factors of uh, commercial success then they will change the uh, reality of that study but these are all material influences and it's not the case that they do not have an influence a healthy lifestyle is important a person who prays will live longer than a person who does not pray not because prayer is answered but because prayer has an effect on the material body as well so it should be and it is measurable even if you are praying in the wrong way in an invalid or an improper way and if you are praying to a false object of worship it might still have some of those benefits because even though it doesn't have that spiritual element, it has the material element. And there are many factors like that. But as Muslims, we want to give more importance to that which is the cause, and that is the spiritual and the religious element. Not to deny the fact that eating healthy and living healthy and those material lifestyle changes will have an influence. And so in one hadith, Imam Jafar al-Sadiq he says there's only three factors that can push away death. La mawta illa, and then there are three things. As-sadaqa. Number one, when you give sadaqa, when you give in the way of Allah, and it doesn't have to be given to just a needy person. Some of us have a very narrow conception of sadaqah, that you have to find somebody who is begging in the streets, and then you give them the smallest bill that you have in your pocket or the change that you find uh, in your car. That is not the conception of sadaqah. Sadaqah is something that is given seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And anything that is given with that intention and in that way, that is sadaqah. If it is given to a needy believer to meet their daily expenses, then that is good, but it doesn't need to be cash. 
It doesn't need to be given to just an individual who was unable to meet their daily expenses. It can be given in order to meet lifestyle needs. It can be given in order to help a person accomplish a certain task. And in fact, that type of sadaqah has been recommended. If you have the option between dividing up your sadaqah and giving a small amount to a bunch of people and giving a larger amount to one person, but where you're actually now making a difference in their life, rather than helping a hundred people eat one more bite, you're filling the, uh, the nutritional needs of one family, then that is better. So sadaqah is one thing that can postpone death, that can, in a sense, for a time, cure death. It pushes it away. The second thing is birrul walidayn, to do good to your parents. That is something that has a very strong influence on our lifespan. Now, birrul walidayn is not just for those whose parents are alive. If our parents are alive, then there is no better way to get blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than kindness to our parents. This hadith talks about the lengthening of life. But it is also mentioned in a hadith that talk about the forgiveness of sins. People who have committed grave sins. And if they want to ask Allah for forgiveness, then it is also very influential to show a kindness and to receive the prayers of our parents. And many other influences that there will be for birrul walidayn, for kindness to our parents. But it has a strong effect on our lifespan, even if our parents are no longer alive. The Prophet has said that kindness to your parents is a lifelong obligation. If our parents are deceased, then that kindness will take a different form. It is by keeping alive their memory. It is by doing good deeds in their name. It is even by being a good person so that people will say that this is somebody who came from a respectable family. This is somebody whose parents had a good influence on their upbringing. So birrul walidayn is the second factor. And then the third factor, which the Imam mentions separately, is siratul rahim. Siratul rahim is not just the same thing or an extension of birrul walidayn, but it is part of that respect to the obligations that we have towards our relatives. Birrul walidayn is mentioned separately because we have a unique obligation towards our parents. And then the family ties that we cultivate and we maintain, they have an effect. Three things the Imam says are going to have an influence on your well-being and your lifespan. And the Imam uses a term that figuratively says that nothing else can change your lifespan. The study that says that if you drink two cups of coffee a day, it might change your lifespan by a few months or a few weeks. The amount of correlation is often very minor, if it exists at all. But the ahadith that explain the effect of these incidents and these realities, they speak in terms of decades. The Imams say that if you do one of these good deeds, then your lifespan may increase, or if you dishonor one of these commandments, 
then your lifespan may decrease, not by a factor of a few minutes or a few hours or a few weeks, but by a factor of decades. And especially when it comes to Birr al-Walidayn, we have numerous ahadith about the very far-reaching effects. So we pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he allows us to benefit from the spiritual cures that he has given us. And if we look at these spiritual cures, then a person who lives a life where sadaqah has a constant presence, and where birrul walidayn has a constant presence, and where siratul rahim has a constant presence, then those decisions and the lifestyle that person will have will also correspond to what is good and what is healthy from a material and from a physical standpoint. And may Allah grant us the best of those spiritual cures and the best of those material and those physical cures. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Al-Asrin al-Insana lafi khusr al-Ladina amanu wa amil al-Sarqati wa tawasaw bil-Haqqi wa tawasaw bil-Sabr. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam.